and welcome to the Workplace Podcast with Meta 5. I'm Michelle Verrett, and I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of this land where I am right now, and from wherever you are listening, and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Today, I'm joined by Aidan Mullen, Sustainability Manager at Interface, the world's largest and only carbon neutral enterprise in the flooring industry. Welcome. Thanks, Michelle. Good to be here. I'm very excited to have you here today to talk about Interface's amazing sustainability journey. Considering my background in interior design, I've specified your products many times over the years and witnessed the evolution of the business over 20 years or so of my career. The biomimicry aspects have always been one of my favorite components of your products. I'm very excited to actually talk to you today and hear about your sustainability journey. That's great. And uh, you actually have one up on me because I've been only with Interface for 13 years. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I joined back in 2010 as sustainability manager here in Australia. Uh, and I'm responsible for that duty across Australia, New Zealand market. Oh, wonderful. So I guess tell us if you could elaborate on that. Tell us a little bit about yourself, the business interface and how you came to where you are today. Well, uh, first and foremost, I suppose uh, some people think sustainability is a career option. For me, it wasn't. I, I don't really believe in careers. I believe in having a life. Really, I started that life in Ireland and uh, I, I was basically uh, educated in, in Northern Ireland. Did my degree in chemical engineering in Queen's University, Belfast. Graduated from there, moved to Cork, right into the petrochemical industry. Wrong industry. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, so the wrong industry if you're a sustainability manager. Yes. So for my sins, I am now actually doing podcasts and, and, and trying to influence people to change away from the error of their ways uh, using fossil fuels. But, you know, have a young family back then and uh, came to Australia in 2003. And I'm working with Interface now as a sustainability manager. So it's been very much about developing myself over the years, adopting to different roles and and really just taking on what I'm getting interested in and what I feel, let's say, passionate about, because I think you need a certain amount of passion to to address sustainability. That's what gets you through the darker times. Mm. Did some of that passion come from your time at Queen's University or did you have that beforehand? Well, look, I think certainly, you know, a love of nature and I'm from a rural background. That was there before I went to Queen's. I think what the university did for me was coming from a very small rural community. It gave me a great opportunity to meet different people from diverse backgrounds and to form new relationships and listen to new ideas. And I think that was back in a time when Northern Ireland was in a lot of stress. That was back what we called during the, the, the trouble era. It was action to meet people, what we called across the divide, and understand that we actually share the same ideas, the same uh, uh, goals in life, uh, and had the same values, really. So I think learned a lot at university, as you would in any university, just meeting new people and understanding that you, you're not alone in this world and there are more people like you and there are people not like you, but you can all push in the same direction, which is really good. Wonderful. And so we briefly touched on Interface already. Can you elaborate on how your business is different from other businesses? Well, look, I I think, you know, uh, from the outside, people will say, okay, Interface is a great case study in sustainability. They're sustainability leaders, and they've been working on their initiatives within sustainability for, for many years, almost 30 years. Interface was incorporated back in 1973, and really it was in 1994 that we had that mid-course correction driven mo- really by our, our CEO and founder, Ray Anderson. And I think back then that gave us a real point of difference. It really made us stand out from the group. As an industry that was producing really beautifully designed products, we were creating a lot of waste uh, and making a big environmental impact. 
And it was that realisation that drove Ray Anderson to put us on the initiative to have zero impact by 2020, which he called Mission Zero. That was really uh, pushed us out from the crowd. And in fact, in many ways, it exposed us a little bit to the market because one of our major shareholders walked away when they heard what we were trying to do. Yeah. But I think... You know, within the, 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 the community, the people realize suddenly that, yeah, look, they agree with what we're doing. Uh, our clients saw that this was the way to go. And actually, our shares tripled within years uh, because of that. So I, I think it has never been really uh, consciously a, a, a reason to be more sustainable, to give your market a difference. But that has been the effect. And even initially, internally, we would have had the question about, you know, how do you actually take a moral imperative uh, like doing something with regard to climate change, biodiversity loss, and convert that into a business imperative. And, you know, it took us a while to get some traction on that. Uh, and it's only then within the company when we realised that sustainability isn't just something you do at the end of the day. It actually has to be part of the cu- uh, the culture. It's it's not what you do after you finish your day job. And, you know, we used to say if you stood in front of your average chief financial officer and said, look, i got a programme here which lowers your costs, it can lead to better product design. It can lead you to more customers, increase your profitability and attract and retain a fantastic people. Would you take that on board? And, and certainly we did. And I think that's really what set the difference. And I don't think we really have that point of difference as much now, which is a good thing, because it's all about all the companies following and all the companies taking up the stick and running with it and actually taking action on climate. Well, congratulations on being such a trailblazer in our industry. It's one of those things, as I said, I've watched over the years. And also congratulations on becoming a carbon neutral enterprise, including your scope three. That is just phenomenal. What an achievement. What does this mean for your organisation moving forward and what's next? Well, when you think about our, our history over the last almost 30 years, we were working on achieving our mission zero goals Back in 2016, 2017, our CEO back then decided that we had to take on a more audacious challenge. Uh, And it was not just good enough to do no harm. We had to actually look at an initiative where we could become restorative. And that's where we came up with the whole target for 2040, to become a, a restorative, regenerative business by 2040. In other words, to become carbon negative. So becoming a carbon neutral enterprise is not the end of the journey. It's basically a milestone on the way there. What we realised was that having reduced our global warming potential of our products by about three quarters, 76% uh, over that 30 years, we could extend that a little bit further and I'm taking another 15% of our emissions and address those to become a carbon neutral enterprise. And we did that in 2021. So, you know, we are there today, but really it is, as I say, a milestone. It's not the end game for us. Net zero is not the end game. It's actually getting our emissions to zero and going beyond. Excellent. And so what does that look like? What solutions are you looking at as a business to transition you to net zero? Well, I think the first thing is you really need uh, some some uh, incentives. And what we've done is we've set science-based target goals for 2030. So we've actually looked at our supply chains and we've identified where our emissions lie. So neutralizing those or mitigating those emissions is fine. But really what we have to do now is reduce them and have absolute reduction in emissions. So we've set science-based target goals for 2030, where we're going to look at purchase goods and services. These are the raw materials we use. And these represent about 40%, 45% of our scope tree emissions. We're going to reduce those by 50%. So that's the incentive. That's the driver. How we're going to get there, I can't tell you. We don't know yet. We didn't know that when we started Mission Zero, but we're going to try the same approach 
We're not where we to achieve basically a 50% reduction in purchased goods and services, reducing the remaining scope one and scope two emissions by 50% also. And we're actually going to involve our employees as well by addressing business travel within the, the company. So our employee travel and commuting, we reduce that by 30%. And that gives our employees, our staff, our members of our organization skin in the game. So that's the driver. Uh, to get there, we have to rethink our product yet again. Mm. We've done that over the years. We've gone from different backing types. We've gone for a less is more approach where you use less materials. We've increased recycled content, bio-based content. We're doing all the right things. We actually really have to up that and go much faster to achieve those uh, goals by 2030. And that really means looking at the materials that we're using. Yes. And so part of that's nature-based solutions. I'd love to hear a little bit more about those in your business. Can you elaborate on that? Well, yes. I, I suppose when you look at... Back 20 years ago, when we, we kicked off in, in, into our, our Mission Zero program, we actually saw design as being a great way of reducing our emissions. So we actually used biomimetic design initially to address how we design our patterns of our flooring. And that's how we came up with a random design. It sounds really simple now, but back then it was a game changer. To go from a geometric pattern to a random pattern, in other words, designing a floor as nature would design a floor, like leaves in a forest or pebbles on a beach. That random design gave us the opportunity to reduce the amount of carpet we need to manufacture for an installation because with random design, you have less offcuts. Yes, and yes. It, it's just it's simply just not a product thing either. It's a well-being component as well for the people that are in the spaces where your carpets are. Absolutely, because again, you know, we, we live in boxes. Mm. You know, uh, we have straight roads with corners. There's not too many curves. We really want to bring nature into the, uh, the human space uh, and a combination of biomimetic design to get that randomness and then looking at biophilic design where, you know, you can just open the mind, bring nature into the room by having carpet that really emulates pebbles on a beach, you know, leaves on a, on a forest floor. These are things that actually give an uplift and, and, and provide productivity and a sense of well-being to people within that uh, human environment. So we've used those on the design side. And then when we look at the materials themselves, we have to cut the link to fossil fuels. This is the big imperative. This is when Ray Anderson started Mission Zero. It was about cutting that link to petrochemicals, taking materials already extracted, using renewable energy to make new materials over and over. And when you think about that, you have to start realizing, well, you know, what materials do we have? Uh, can we use nature to supply some of those? I mean, you have great examples such as cross-laminated timber in the built environment, mycelium bricks, hempcrete. These are all materials now that are starting to introduce bio-based raw materials into the construction. Uh, and we're doing exactly the same thing. So we're looking at the materials that we use to make are the backing and the yarns for our carpet. And we're trying to source then bio-based materials uh, and recycle content to achieve effectively really low carbon footprint products uh, and ultimately carbon negative. And we actually succeeded in doing that by actually putting a, a carbon negative product onto the market back in 21. Uh, and that's a product which uses a high concentration of bio-based material in the backing, a smaller quantity of yarn. So the net effect is a carbon negative product. That is not gonna solve the problem for us ultimately, but it's the first step towards that thousand step journey to get to carbon negativity. Mm. So we all agree that sustainable business models are now critical for business continuity. How does it look from a return on investment perspective in your business? I think this is always the question uh, people ask, you know, being uh, more sustainable, and I don't really like that phrase, but I'll use it because that's what we talk about. Um, 
what's the return on investment? What are the savings? Initially, when we kicked off on our, our Mission Zero journey, we, asked, we calculated that we saved about 400 million US dollars on waste avoidance. Now, that was pretty cool. That was in the first 10 years of the program. But we really stopped measuring that since then because what we found is that no one will pay an extra dollar for a product that has sustainable attributes or has a purpose underpinning it. What we have seen is an increase in the volume of sales, a big increase in the market share as a result of underpinning all we do with purpose. And and I think if you ask the person in the street and the more educated generations that are coming through now, they will tell you a choice between a product that is purpose-driven or one that isn't, they'll go purpose-driven. They might even pay a little bit more now, but back then they didn't. So really what we've just seen is a bigger market share, bigger volume in sales, and also, again, you know, the ability to use the innovations that we're developing to drive our business. It's about resilience, and this is really future-proofing us as we go towards 2040. Yes, the decisions we're making now really have, you know, 7, 10, 20 year consequences. So trying to get a budget in in the next two to three years really isn't the topic of conversation anymore. We're really pushing that conversation forward into a bigger timescale. It's certainly true, Michelle. And when you think even the recent IPCC report that came out, they're saying that the decisions we make will have lasting effect for thousands of years to come. So it's not just about the carpet companies or the flooring companies doing this. What we've learned is you can't do it alone. It's about everyone doing it. So within the built environment, everyone actually has to take up the challenge and move with urgency because we're looking at 2030 targets now, not 2050. Mm, Definitely. And I love how you touched on your employees and bringing them into the business. Strategically delivering a project like this takes a lot of stamina and passion. Um, how does your workplace support these sustainability objectives internally and how do you navigate the challenges along the way? Well, I think first and foremost, from a technical point of view, engineers love solving problems. Chemists love solving problems. So if you say we want a carbon negative product, we want it this size by this size, they're going to make that happen. So that challenge is very engaging for them. It's a different case for different people throughout the organization. A person operating in one of our manufacturing facilities wants to be part of that. They can't make those decisions on the materials they use, but what they can make the decisions on is how efficiently they can use those materials. And therefore, developing a culture within our factories is very, very important. And even going beyond that then to our sales teams, to our marketing teams. It really, we used to talk about, you know, sustainabilities in our DNA. It's in everybody's DNA. I think it's really just tapping into that. And it does have its challenges. COVID was a big challenge. When we couldn't get into our factories, when we had uh, all sorts of precautions in place, when we had uh, supply chain interruptions, focus has really been on addressing those issues. And therefore, we probably have lost some of that sustainability drive that we would have had pre-COVID. When I look at it, over 40% of the employees in our factory were hired in the last three years because of turnover. Uh, and as a result, we have a lot of work to do to reinstill and reignite that sustainability culture. Uh, and that happens by actually engaging them in projects that are applicable to what they do on a day-to-day basis. You know, we can't all be scientists developing the latest nuclear solution, but we do know that every one of us has a contribution to make and we, we, we should be engaging people to make those contributions. And that's really what my role is about as well. Excellent. Education is such an important piece on every level, right from the CEO down to the person getting the coffee. Everyone has, you know, they're integrally just as important as each other at the end of the day. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we usually start at the CEO level, but, you know, we've actually had, what, four CEOs in the history of Interface since it was started in 1973. You know, we have a new CEO now who's a year old into the organization, and I'm sure Laurel wouldn't mind one bit if I was said to her. She will learn more from the people on the floor than they can learn from her at the moment from a sustainability point of view. So it's a learning process. Uh, it works both ways. And it's not about levels in the organization, because I think at the end of the day, it's about how everyone gets engaged and knowing what part they can play and, and able to do that and having a culture that allows them to do that is important. And everyone has a contribution at the end of the day. So. Look, without a shadow of a doubt, mm. absolutely. Excellent. So considering the speed at which the industry needs to adapt, and we're obviously talking 2030, 2040, is Interface engaging in sharing your knowledge across the industry and how are you collaborating? Absolutely. And again, it's a two-way street. We, we work very closely with, with, with organisations like the Green Building Council here in Australia, uh, Neighbours. Uh, I sit on work groups working on, on, on the development of, of, of schemes to reduce upfront emissions in the built environment. I take part in alliances like MECLA, the Materials Embodied Carbon Leadership Alliance. Uh, and again, these are really actively engaged now in addressing upfront emissions. So up until four or five years ago we were focusing on the impact of buildings when you operated them so you turn on a light switch air conditioning you're looking at the operational carbon now we're actually focusing on the carbon emitted before those buildings are inhabited so from basically cradle to practical completion of works and that involves all the stakeholders construction companies the developers the architects the designers the manufacturers so we're all in this together and i think it's a real collaborative effect uh, that you're seeing now, and it's driven by that urgency. So I see a lot of traction now that wouldn't have been there three, four years ago. And there's a lot of focus on, on actually taking on the challenges of climate. There definitely is. Absolutely. Yes. So what learnings do you think the leaders of the organisations listening here today can take from your journey? Well, I think first and foremost, you really actually have to look at, are, are, are you interested in engaging in, in, in action on and I say on climate because that's the biggest existential crisis we're facing currently. You know, we have lots of other issues, but global warming is a big problem. The question would be, as a leader in any organisation, how do you address that? We, we can't do it on our own. Uh, I think first and foremost, we should set some sort of a goal. Uh, we should set a target with a timeline, with some milestones, uh, and we should actually sit down with our people within our organisations and work out how we're going to get there. Uh, Ray Anderson did not have the answers for us. It was only engaging the people within his organisation that really got us to where we are. And I think we have to be clear as well is that we're not going to change the world overnight. Uh, some of the changes we make will be incremental. We shouldn't be disillusioned with failure. Probably should celebrate it in a way. It, it helps you get over the, the, the issue. But at the same time, there's learnings. As long as you take the learnings from failure on board, that's important. And of course, sharing those learnings with others and learning from others. It's really, really important. So uh, there's no silver bullet to this, but I think it's about really, at the end of the day, setting goals, targets, timelines, and measuring how you get there. 100% agree with that. Taking those learnings and moving forward is such an imperative part to progress, really. So what do you see for the future? Well, as I said, for us, we're, we have a 2030 science-based target goals. We are working hard at the moment to understand where in our supply chain we are going to achieve 
the payback on that to actually reduce our, our, our emissions, to reduce our, our, our global footprint. We are optimistic about the future. 2040 is that target to become regenerative. So we are very much looking at innovation to drive that, but also relationships. So on the technical side, you've got your innovations. You're, you, you mentioned earlier, Michelle, looking at uh, nature solutions or natural solutions. Uh, and the materials we're looking at will be bio-based, but there are lots of technologies out there to provide them. You know, UTS here in, in Sydney is doing great work on algae to plastics. Now, there is an opportunity for getting sequestered carbon into your products, whether it's a brick, whether it's a, a piece of carpet, whether it's a ceiling tile. Likewise, you've got mineral carbonation, who are basically sequestering carbon from flue stacks to manufacture materials that can be used as fillers. So there's a lot happening, uh, and I think, you know, that provides a lot of optimism for the future. So we are continually looking at where we can find ways of achieving our goal, not just working with our suppliers, but also working with technologies to share with them. Definitely. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received to tackle the role that you have today? Right. Well, I think maybe the first advice was that uh, you don't need heroes. I was. I remember being uh, asked by my first boss in the petrochemical industry, uh, which hero, uh, which which people I admired most, and I basically my answer was a bit smart. Asked at the time, I said I don't admire anybody. Actually, I believe everybody can contribute, uh, and that was advice that I had got. That we are all individuals. We can all make change. Uh, it's a question of scale. We can't make it alone. So it's about community. And, you know, it's not about winning or losing. It's about actually having uh, shared goals. And I think for me, that was really the best advice I've got. So I don't have heroes. Even Ray Anderson, our CEO and founder, would not be a hero of mine. I would basically say he was doing what he felt was right at the time. He was my age when he went on his mid-course correction. So he wasn't thinking about playing golf. He thought, there's something I can do here. I can develop my skills further and I can take this and run with it. And I like Ray's comment really at the end of the day. It's about brightening the corner where you are. You know, what if everybody did that? And I think that's a really good uh, a bit of advice. Oh, I absolutely love yeah. that community at the end of the day. We're nothing without it. That's right. Um, you know, whether it's family based or business based, so, so important to our own well-being and to the planet that we live on. So, Aidan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute privilege to share Interface's journey and sustainability goals leading up to 2040. I hope our listeners are feeling inspired and courageous to take on similar journeys in their businesses. Thank you for joining us on the Workplace Podcast. No, thank you for the invite, Michelle. Pleasure to talk with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>